Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. This is David Canfield, and I'm recording this on Tuesday, December 5th, 2023, here in Chicago. And this is going to be the 73rd episode of the podcast, but it's also going to become the first episode of the podcast. And so I better explain that a little bit. We began the Christian Faith Radio Hour as a radio program back in May of 2022. That's why it's called the Christian Faith Radio Hour. Not long after that, I began posting the episodes online as a podcast. We continued the radio program up until the end of 2022, and we stopped it at that point, but I continued the podcast since then. And when I look back at some of the early episodes that we did, of course, it was live radio. And I think some of those are a little bit rough. And so I wanted to re-record at least some of those programs to try to do a better job of presenting them. And that's why this episode, as I say, will be the 73rd episode of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. But we're also going to use it to replace the original recording for the first episode of the program. Much of the content, I should say, is going to be the same, but hopefully presented in Uh, a better way. And one thing I want to do here, as I did at the outset of the original first episode, is to state what is the purpose of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And it's very simple. It's to present the truth of the scriptures, the truth of God's word, to the believers and to the world in general. There's a lot of uh, Christian radio programs out there. They deal with practical matters, um, You know, how to have a good family life, good relationships, how to live a good life and take care of your finances, that kind of thing. That's not the purpose of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. As I say, the purpose of the Christian Faith Radio Hour is very clear. It is to present the truth of the scriptures of God's word to his people and to the world in general. In the Old Testament, in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, we read, where the Lord says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I have to be honest that the more I have worked on this program and tried to present these truths to God's children, the more of a feeling I have in that regard. That's exactly the case among God's children today. There's such a lack of the solid truth among God's children, among the believers. And that's a big part of the reason why so many of God's children are being destroyed today in terms of their Christian life and walk. It's just a terrible tragedy. And so this program, which is produced, I should add, in connection with my website, thechristianfaith.org, the purpose of both the program and the website are to try to present the truths of the Scripture in a fuller way to God's people. That's the real purpose of this program. And that was why this topic was chosen for the first episode of the program was Jesus and the Scriptures. Because if we claim to be followers of Christ, then for sure we need to follow him in the way he came to the scriptures. We're going to see in this program, nobody ever had so high a view of the scriptures. No one was ever more of a fundamentalist in terms of their view of the scriptures than Jesus was. I wouldn't say he was a fundamentalist sometimes in how he lived. I wouldn't say that. But in terms of how he came to the scriptures, he was absolutely fundamental in terms of believing the scriptures really were the Word of God, and that's really going to be kind of the theme of this episode. As the believers in Christ, it's so important for us to be in God's Word. John 17, verse 17, the Lord, in his prayer, just on the night he was betrayed, he prayed, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. You know, especially in these dark times when we see so many evil things and so many evil forces operating in our society, How can we possibly be sanctified if we're not in the Word of God day by day, really spending time and allowing the Lord to speak to us in His Word? What a gift He's given us, saints. What a gift He's given us. We need to treasure this gift and be in this Word and allow this Word to work in us. Now, those of you who've been listening to this program know I'm a very big fan of the writings of G.H. Pember. He was a student of biblical prophecy who lived in the 19th century. His most well-known book is Earth's Earliest Ages. You might have heard of that. But he also had a four-volume series on the great prophecies of the Bible. And I love his opening statement in the first volume of that 
four-volume series uh, in the preface. He says this, The Supreme God has deigned to give revelations whereby he seeks to communicate his purposes to men, and thus, by a gentle process, to bend their minds to his mighty and irresistible will. Nevertheless, myriads of professing Christians are content to reach the end of life in total ignorance of these gracious disclosures, while accredited ministers of Christ are too frequently unable to expound them. I really appreciate that statement. And that book was published, by the way, the first volume of that four-volume set was published in 1887. I think the rest of the volumes were published in 1909. But he was writing, in other words, going on 150 years ago. And he said Christians then just weren't in the word enough and the ministers couldn't expound. He was talking specifically about biblical prophecy in in an effective way. But if that was the case 150 years ago, how much more so today is it the case that believers are simply not in the word as we need to be? And my own feeling is that is a huge reason for the degradation in society as a whole. If we were much more in the word, we would have much more of a salting effect on the society around us to prevent the corruption, as the Lord said, with the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We'd have, we'd have that salting effect to prevent the corruption of the world and the enlightening effect to lighten up the darkness of the world. But one factor that surely prevents people in general and especially believers from coming to the word is the doubts we have about whether or not this is really the word of God. Can we really trust it? And I think, based on my own experience, for sure, one thing that can truly help us in this regard is by considering how did Jesus come to the scriptures. You know, when I was a new believer, and I'll date myself, this was back in, uh, I was saved in March of 83, so this might have been April or May of 1983. I was out in Washington, D.C., even though I'm from the Chicago area. uh, I was saved out there. I was working out there for a little while. And I was looking for fellowship with other believers. And so one afternoon, as I recall, on a weekday, I'm not sure how I wandered into this Bible study. I believe it was sponsored by the Salvation Army. I'm not quite sure about that. But there was a group of uh, people there. It might have been six or eight, maybe ten people, something like that, a small little group. And it was being led by this one guy. And he may have been a believer, but if he was, he didn't believe too much. Uh, Hard to say. And he was talking about along the lines, well, you you know, we appreciate the Bible, uh, but you don't really have to believe everything that's in it. Uh, and then he said, well, there, but there's some principles that you you want to take that that's that's the important thing. And he said, for example, uh, you don't want to be yoked together with unbelievers. And as he was sharing all this, I was just flipping through my Bible kind of randomly, and as those words left his mouth don't be yoked together with unbelievers. It just so happened that my finger was on that very verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And I was looking at that, and I was, to say, I was pretty amazed at that. Now, there's like 30,000 or so different verses in the Bible, and my finger just happened to be on that exact verse as he was speaking that. And it wasn't just that it was on the exact verse. It was the content of that verse. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I don't want to make too much of this. It's kind of a funny experience. Sometimes if you're a new believer, the Lord will allow you to have uh, experiences like that. But it sure impressed me as a new believer in Christ. Even Some people would say it's a coincidence. I, I can tell you, it impressed me. I just felt the Lord was saying, I can put your finger on the exact verse of the Bible that I want it to be on. And I can arrange the stars and the heavens and the planets and all the things on the earth. And I can also make sure that the word of God is preserved in exactly the way I want it to be preserved. The Lord really spoke to me through that. And of course, I never went back to that Bible study. As I said, that, that's it's a funny experience. It, to me, it was very meaningful. Others may not feel, you know, again, they may feel just a coincidence, but, but it, it spoke to me as one thing that helped me to have a serious view of the scriptures. But much more important than that kind of experience and much more profound in helping to shape my view of the scriptures 
was to consider the question of how did Jesus come to the scriptures? What was his attitude toward the scriptures? Because if we say we are followers of Christ, then we should come to the scriptures in the same way that he did. Not a small thing. And as I read the Bible for myself, and it's so important to develop that habit of reading the Bible consistently, day by day, especially as a young believer, so you you are in the Word of God, and the Lord can speak to you in His Word. It's so important to have that habit. And I, as I recall, I did as a new believer. I had, at least to some extent, that kind of habit. And actually, even before I was saved, I had been reading the Bible consecutively for a while. So important to have that kind of habit. And as I did that, I, I saw how Jesus was coming to the Scriptures, and I felt I need to come to the Scriptures in the same way that He did. And if we have this kind of an uplifted view, then for sure we will be much more in the scriptures than if we feel, well, we can't really trust the scriptures. We don't really know if this is the Bible or not. If we have these kinds of doubts, you know, that was Satan's first temptation of man, right? Genesis chapter three, verse one, he comes to Eve, yea, hath God said until today, that's how Satan tempts man in regard to God's word, yea, hath God said. Well, the antidote, I feel, and what we want to get into uh, now is to really begin to consider, let's look and see, how did Jesus come to the scriptures? And I want to consider this in a couple of different ways. The first is to deal with this question of, do we even know what the scripture actually is? Because there's a lot of people today, and even believers feel, well, we don't, we don't quite know for sure what the Bible really should be, because it's been corrupted, uh, it's been damaged. Maybe some uh, books of the Bible were left out. People talk about the lost books of the Bible, so-called. Maybe the text of the scripture itself has been corrupted. So we just don't quite know really what the scripture is. Well, how did Jesus feel about the scripture in his time? And of course, when we talk about that, we're talking about what we today as Christians would call the Old Testament. That was the scripture that they had. So let's just look and see how did Jesus refer to the Old Testament? And the first instance where you see this is, of course, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Uh, And um, I should mention all the verses that I am referring to here, I'll have them listed on the page for this podcast on the website. In the podcast description, there'll be a link to that page. So if you want to look these verses up, you can just uh, go to the website and they'll be listed there. But Satan comes to Jesus after he's uh, fasted for 40 days in the wilderness And he says to him, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. In Matthew 4, verse 4, but Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And two more times Satan tempted him. And each time Jesus said, it is written. In Matthew 4, verse 7, Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then in Matthew 4, verse 10, Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What an example Jesus gives us here. His refuge against the slanders of the enemy was the written word of God. That was his bulwark. So Jesus here is strongly testifying there is a written scriptural authority that we can refer to as the believers in Christ. He's giving us this example. That's how you defeat the enemy, is with the written word of God. And this is what we're going to be seeing in these next verses that we're quoting. It's the same principle. Jesus referred to an absolute authority for knowing the truth. In his time, the Old Testament scriptures, as we would call them today, the written word of God. He had no doubt that God had preserved the scriptures And that they could be trusted to reveal to us God's truth. And that's why he referred to it when dealing with the enemy with those three wonderful words, it is written. And we need to have that same kind of faith in the word of God that Jesus had. It's very striking here, even in this this example. uh, Satan tempted Jesus three times. Three times Jesus replies, it is written. And each time Jesus replied to Satan, he quoted verses from the same book of the Old Testament namely the book of Deuteronomy. Well, that's really significant because that book, more than any other book of the Old Testament, is one where it tells you 
that you should keep these words in your heart and you should keep them before your eyes and they should just occupy you day and night. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. These words, this is Moses speaking, of course, to the children of Israel. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And there are several other passages in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses speaks in this way. It just seems, that in particular, the book of Deuteronomy, he wanted the children of Israel to really keep before them because he's rehearsing everything that had gone before in that book. Now, that same principle, of course, you, you could apply to the Old Testament as a whole. It's a real exhortation how we need to be in, in the Word. The whole Bible just needs to be occupying us day by day. What a... What a uh, exhortation for us to be in the word. But Jesus took this command from Moses in the most literal way possible so that when Satan came to him to tempt him, he replied specifically with verses from the book of Deuteronomy. Very, very striking example of how Jesus did take the Bible in a very, very literal way and a real pattern for us today as those who would be the followers of Christ, how we need to come to the word ourselves. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, He says of John the Baptist, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way before you. The same principle, it is written. He's saying there's an authority we have for what we believe. Of course, he's talking to the Jews at that time. The same principle applies today. As Christians, as the believers in Christ, we absolutely have an authority. Not just the Old Testament, but of course, the same principle applies to the New Testament scriptures as well. Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees accused him because his disciples were going through the grain fields and plucking the ears of grain. They said, your disciples are, not doing, are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. That's verse, chapter 12, verse 2. He says, haven't you read what David did when he was hungry, along with those who were with him? That's 12.3. In 12.5 he says, or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath? The priests in the courts of the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. His authority over and over again is the scriptures. He never had any question as to what was and was not the scriptures. And I want to add here that even until today, scholars are not sure when the the Jewish scripture was canonized. There's no clear defining authority prior to the time of Jesus that said, this is the scripture. There had been some efforts to try to compile some books, but nobody's quite clear when exactly that happened, whether it was before or whether it was after Jesus Nobody's quite clear. But Jesus is saying to them, the scripture authenticates itself. You need to know what the scripture is and you should know what the scripture is. So he was appealing to them and speaking to them based on the authority of the scripture itself, not based on some council. And it's the same with the New Testament scriptures. They're not the scriptures because some council said that they were the scriptures. That, Of course, there was a council uh, that did that in New Testament times. But that was long after the scriptures were written and after so many believers, the body of Christ as a whole, had already affirmed what was and was not the scriptures. There were no books of the Bible that were ever lost. There were books that were rejected because they were recognized as not being legitimately a part of the scripture. The body of Christ as a whole simply rejected them and said these don't belong with the rest, with what are the canonical books of the New Testament. And that's what we see here in the example of Jesus. He's saying, We know what the scripture is, and you should know what the scripture is. And I appeal to you on the basis of that authority of the scripture. Again, in Matthew 21, verse 13, he's he's overturning the, the tables in the temple, and he says to the money changers, It is written, My house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And a little while later, the chief priests were upset because the children were praising him in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have perfected praise. He says on the one hand, it is written. And on the other hand, he keeps asking this question, Haven't you read? Maybe I would ask you that same question today. Haven't you read? How much time are you spending in the scriptures? Saints, we need to be in the scriptures more. And we can absolutely trust that God has preserved his word for us today. Just as he did in the time of Jesus, he preserved the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus strongly testifies to 
this fact. He never left. There's never any hint in the New Testament. In particular, in, where, in the ministry of Jesus, he never gives any hint to the idea that the scriptures could be corrupted. Anyone today who claims to be a Christian and feels that Jesus had any other kind of approach to the scriptures has no idea what they're talking about and, frankly, no basis on which to make that claim. And that's why it's so important to look at how Jesus viewed the scriptures if we claim to be the followers of Christ. Now, I'll say this. All truth in the scripture radiates out from the person of Jesus Christ. One of the strongest, probably, frankly, the single strongest proof we have that the Bible really is the word of God is the record of the person of Jesus Christ in the four gospels. Because when you, when you read those four gospels, what you realize is no human mind could ever have invented this character. It's completely beyond any human concept. He just completely transcends the human realm of thought. In so many ways, you see this over and over and over again in the scriptures. And so when he testifies in the Gospels that the scriptures are the word of God, and we can absolutely be sure of that, then we have the strongest possible basis for affirming with him that the scriptures have been preserved. Now, it's good to have some background, read some books about this, and understand how they have been preserved. And one book I can recommend on this topic is by Neil Lightfoot. It's called How We Got the Bible. Very, very good introduction to this topic. Very solid. It's relatively thorough, but it's not overly academic. It should be accessible to most people. So that's one book uh, I can recommend. I've read it a couple times. And it does give you a good grounding in the practical ways God has preserved his scriptures. And that's a good grounding to have, especially to answer people's questions these days and to be able to deal with this topic. But in particular, what I'm hoping to impress you with now is, for sure, Jesus testifies strongly. We can have the absolute assurance God has preserved his written word for us, and that's what we have in the Bible today. And we can have and should have the full trust and full confidence in the scriptures as the word of God. I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. Uh, I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, if you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. So the second way I want to look at this question of how Jesus came to the scriptures is anything, if anything, it's more striking than the first, I would say. And that is, okay, if we have the scriptures that God intended us to have, then how should we come to the scriptures? Should they be taken in a literal way? Or are they just uh, symbolic? And are they speaking in terms of allegory? And they're not really meant to be taken literally. These aren't talking about events that actually happened. These are just stories or myths from the Old Testament times. And this is a big question a lot of people have. Many people feel that when the Bible in the New Testament talks about the Old Testament, it's really, it's really just a bunch of symbolic allegorical language. This is true, I think, of a lot of Christians and, and certainly true among a great many scholars today. When I recorded this program the first time, I referred to this quote from this one major, very famous New Testament scholar. I don't like to say his name, but he's a very, very, very liberal scholar. He certainly doesn't believe the New Testament uh, is speaking in a literal sense when it refers to the stories from the Old Testament. And he has this pretty famous statement. Uh, he puts it this way. My point, once again, is not that those ancient people told literal stories and we are now smart enough to take them symbolically, but that they told them symbolically and we are now dumb enough to take them literally. So, okay, he, he makes this point, you know, basically, if you take the Bible in a literal way, you're pretty stupid. And this, this is a quote, uh, I think the best way to describe it would be, uh, it's meretricious. And I had to look it up to make sure I had the right meaning of that word. 
Uh, it means basically it's outwardly attractive, but it has no real value. And that's, that's the nature of this statement here. It sounds like he said something intelligent. Really, what you hear when you read this kind of a statement, you just hear again the hiss of the serpent. Yea, hath God said. It's really so. Just an unspeakably evil statement. And this man claims, at least to some extent, he believes in some kind of Jesus. Well, okay. If we claim to believe in Jesus, once again, I would say, then we need to really consider his view of the scriptures. Does he give us any ground for saying that the events that are recorded in the Old Testament, and by implication the events that are recorded in the New Testament as well, that these are simply allegories. They're symbolic stories. They're not actual historical events. And I'm not, I don't think I'm spoiling anything because I've already kind of mentioned it before. Jesus absolutely does not give us any ground for thinking these are anything other than actual historical events that really took place. He was, as I said before, in his approach to the scriptures at least, absolutely fundamental. And you cannot say you believe in Jesus if you don't accept his view of the scriptures in this regard. So to begin with, I want to just point out a couple of statements where he gives us the principle of how we should come to the scriptures. And then let's look at some examples of how he came to the scriptures. And the first one is in John chapter 5, verses 46 through 47. Here Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says this, If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Saints, don't think and don't take Satan's lie that you can treat Genesis and the rest of Moses' writings and for that matter the rest of the Old Testament as merely symbolic stories, things that didn't really happen. Jesus says here, if you don't believe his writings, you can't believe my words either. He's asking a rhetorical question. He's saying you can't. If you don't accept what Moses wrote, you won't be able to believe what I tell you either. And it's very striking. He says specifically what Moses wrote, because for a very long time, the supposed uh, you know, highly intelligent, sophisticated New Testament scholars, they said, well, uh, uh, there was no writing at the time of Moses, and, and, and so these are just oral traditions, and that, that's how we know that uh, we can't really take these writings that seriously. And then they found out, of course, they were wrong. Uh, there were significant examples of certain types of writing that very much antedated the time of Moses. And so, yes, there's no reason why he couldn't have written these things down. And here Jesus strongly, strongly affirms he wrote, he wrote about Jesus. So here, Jesus himself strongly affirms that Moses wrote down the things that are recorded in the first five books of the Pentateuch. He just blows that argument to smithereens. And again, he points out, if you don't believe what Moses wrote, you're not going to believe what I have to say either. And another verse along these lines, also in the Gospel of John, is when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who comes to him by night. And this is the man Jesus told him, you must be born anew. This is in John chapter 3. Then in verse 12, Jesus says to him, If I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Again, it's a rhetorical question. He's saying you can't. When the Bible tells us of earthly things, such as how the world was created, how mankind was created, how God created Adam and Eve, all these things about the flood, in Genesis, all these historical events, if we don't believe these earthly things that the Bible tells us about, we will not be able to believe the spiritual things that Jesus tells us about. Don't think, saints, you can be that kind of a person. It just doesn't work. In other words, we can't just pick and choose which parts of the Bible we're going to believe and which parts of the Bible we're more or less going to write off and say, well, they're just symbolic. I don't really have to believe that part of the Bible. Okay, so now let's look at some of the specific examples of how Jesus viewed the Old Testament. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 5, the Pharisees had come to Jesus and they were asking him about marriage. He answers them by quoting from the book of Genesis. Have you not read? Again, there's that phrase, have you not read? That he who made them from the beginning made them male and female. That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Then he goes to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and he quotes that. 
and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Here he strongly affirms the Genesis account of creation. He doesn't give any hint there that this is anything other than a historical account of what actually happened. And of course, this is a big one that the uh, modernists like to try to deny. Well, man, we evolved from whatever. There's no hint here that that's a valid way of looking at the Genesis account of the creation of mankind. In Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39, he talks about the flood. He says this, As the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and did not know until the flood came and swept them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And here he clearly refers to this as a historical event that actually happened. And of all the events in the Old Testament, uh, I would say the flood may be the one that causes people the most trouble to consider that several thousand years ago the earth was covered with water. He strongly affirms that it's a historical event that actually happened. The flood came and swept them all away. He warns us that's exactly how it's going to be in the days when the Son of Man comes. And of course, the point here, the, what the Lord is saying here, is just as there was so much wickedness on the earth at the time of Noah, that's how it's going to be at the time when the Son of Man comes. And that should warn us, saints, when we see the way the world's going today, the time seems to be getting closer. And I don't want to get to, uh, into any apologetics here, but I want to make one point here about the flood because this does, does cause people some problems. You know, if I, I would encourage you, if you want to take a minute, type in... Uh, myth of the flood in wikipedia and read that article and what you find out is so many ancient cultures have a story about the flood that is somewhat similar to what is recorded in the bible of course the bible gives us the infallible account but all over the world cultures have this story of a flood that came that wiped people out and then there was a restoration of life after that well, why would cultures all over the world have that kind of a story? Well, the answer is because there was a flood at one point that did exactly that. Very interesting that uh, a strong indication, again, what the Bible tells us really is a historical event. As I say, the one infallible account we have of the flood is found in the book of Genesis, but you find similar accounts in cultures all over the world. Very, very impressive fact to know. Now, I said for the most part we're going to be in Matthew, but in this case, we need to take a look at the Gospel of Luke, and that's chapter 17, verses 28 through 29 and 32. Here, Jesus strongly affirms the biblical account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to what he says. Just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the very day in which Lot went out of Sodom, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So here he strongly affirms the biblical account of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't say anything about this as an allegory. There's just no hint of that. He's telling us this was a historical event that actually happened. The flood, the, the, the fire rather, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. He's saying that actually happened. So we have no hint here anywhere that these are allegories or symbolic events. Verse 32 of Luke 17, remember Lot's wife. That's a remarkable story. She got turned into a pillar of salt. Again, he points to this story. You know, it seems like somehow Jesus knew exactly what stories in the Old Testament were most going to be attacked by the skeptics and by the doubters. And he strongly affirmed these stories in his own words so we could be assured, yes, these are actual events that actually happened. Going back to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. You, Capernaum, who have been exalted to heaven, shall be brought down to Hades. For if the works of power which had been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. There's no question here. He's talking here about what happened to Sodom was an actual historical event. To the point, Sodom is going to appear again in the day of judgment that's coming. So here he clearly is referring to Sodom as a historical, real event. There was never any doubt in Jesus' mind as to whether or not this actually happened. Matthew chapter 12, verses 40 through 41. 
As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, more than Jonah is here. Again, just strongly affirming, this is what actually happened. No one could read this and say Jesus was talking here about an allegory. These were actual historical events. Then in Matthew 12, verse 42, he talks about the Queen of the South, that story where she came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And he says, she's going to rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came to the uttermost, from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, more than Solomon is here. So again, she's a real person, and Solomon was a real person. Again, I would say, it just seems he, he really puts his finger on all the things that he knew the skeptics would doubt. And just shows them, no, don't say you believe in me if you don't accept that these are actual historical events. Because I'm telling you, these things actually happened. Again, he was an absolute fundamentalist. And there's probably other examples you could point to in the scriptures as well. What you can't point to is any instance where Jesus gives a hint that these are anything other than actual historical events that really happened. Now, they may have symbolic and allegorical meanings. That's a different question. They may very well have that type of meaning. Sometimes they're interpreted uh, that way in the New Testament. There's a spiritual application we can learn from these stories, for sure. But that doesn't deny the fact that the underlying story is an actual historical event that really happened. And if we want to be those who follow Christ, we need to be those who believe the Scripture just like he did in a literal, historical way. The last couple of examples I want to mention have to do with the Old Testament prophets. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. So this is one of the big arguments of the modern skeptics. They say, well, the Isaiah wasn't a really real prophet. There's, uh, the book of Isaiah was written by two different people. And uh, because the first part, chapters 1 to 39, has a very different tone from chapters 40 through 66. But here Jesus strongly affirms that Isaiah was a real prophet, a real person in the Old Testament. And then in Matthew 24, verse 15, he does exactly the same thing with the prophet Daniel. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And that's another major uh, argument that the, the modern skeptics have. They have no basis for making it, but they claim that Daniel was not an actual person, that the book of Daniel was a, a forgery that was written much later than it claims to have been written, you know, roughly 500 B.C. or so. Um, they would claim maybe 200 B.C., something like that. Uh, but here Jesus strongly affirms, no, Daniel really was a prophet in the Old Testament as the Old Testament speaks of him. Once again, just tearing down this modern skeptical view of the scriptures and saying, no, you need to take the scriptures in a historical, literal way if you're really going to believe them and really going to believe me, as the, the verses I quoted at the beginning. John 5, verses 46 and 47. If you don't believe the scriptures in the Old Testament in such a way, you won't be able to believe me either, Jesus said. So in these two points, you know, what the scriptures are, first of all, and secondly, in how we should view the scriptures, once again, I would stress, Jesus was absolutely fundamental, and he took a very, very, very high view of the scriptures. In fact, no one ever had so high a view of the scriptures as Jesus did. And if we want to be his followers today, we need to take that same view of the scriptures, and I understand sometimes we read things in the scriptures and we do wonder about them. How could that be so? When that happens, don't worry about it too much. Eventually, the Lord will make it clear. And that's been my experience time and time again. You have some question about this or that in the scripture. If you stay in the word, if you're spending time in the word and allowing the word to, to speak to you, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Eventually, these things will become clear when we really humble ourselves before the Lord and before his word. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's really so. If we have this proper fear before the Lord and before his word, eventually we will receive the wisdom we need to understand. And we need to ask the Lord for that kind of wisdom. Surely he'll be gracious to give it to us. Praise the Lord for that. 
So that will do it for this segment of the program. When we come back, we'll play an interview that I recorded with a brother, dear brother, Mark from Indiana, that was part of the first program. And I think it's uh, it's worthwhile. So I want to include it in, uh, as a way of concluding this re-edition of this program. So we will see you on the other side of the break. I just want to take a minute to remind the listeners that this program is being produced in connection with my website, which is thechristianfaith.org. I hope you'll visit that. I think there's a number of very useful resources on there to help you with your spiritual growth, with your walk with the Lord, and with your serving of the Lord, and to have a view of what God's purpose is. If you want to subscribe to our e-letter, which we send out a couple times a week, just click on the subscribe link there. And if you'd like to contact us, If you have comments or questions about the program or about the Christian life in general, you can send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. So, as I said before the break, in this last segment, I want to play the interview that we recorded when we did the first episode of the radio program. And this is an interview with Brother Mark Jordan in Indiana, And we use the points that I made in the previous segments of the program as a springboard to kind of talk about some related topics. But I do feel it's a worthwhile discussion, so I thought I would include it here. But I should also warn you uh, to be prepared. It's a little bit raw. We had some technical difficulties. This was the first program that we did, and so we were just learning. For one thing, I uh, goofed up in the uh, break Right before we recorded this interview, I yelled down at the hall because I was in panic mode because I couldn't get uh, Mark on the line, and uh, but I forgot to push the button that muted me. So that, I think, went out over the radio. And so I mentioned that at the beginning of this segment, um, just kind of laughing at myself a little bit. Hopefully it was not too annoying to the listeners. And Mark also had some trouble with his phone. So uh, I've edited this a little bit, but not very much. So it's still going to be a little raw. But as I say, I do feel it's a worthwhile discussion. And I should add that this was originally broadcast live on May 14th, 2022 on WNDZ here in Chicago. And we'll go out with this, and I I hope you find it helpful. Hello again. Okay, now we're going to be um, connecting with uh, Brother Mark in Goshen. And uh, uh, I think we have Mark on the line now. Mark, are you there? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Uh, Okay, first of all, I have to say... uh, uh, did you hear? You might have heard me yelling down the hall there. Did you hear that, Mark? And uh, um, yes, yeah. and that was. Uh, <laughs> I understand the panic. It's your first show, and these yeah. things happen. Yeah, that's right. I didn't. I guess I had there's a button I was supposed to turn off, and I didn't know how to get you on the line, so I had to uh, yell for Brian no to, for his hand. Yes, okay, my... thanks. Thanks so much, Brian. So sorry, sorry for that. We're learning as we go along. So, uh, so Mark, uh, yeah. So and then my apologies to the uh, to the audience. Anyway, I'm sure you. Got a little chuckle out of that, but uh, just to introduce Mark a little bit, he's this is a brother I've known for many, many years, and I've always have a, I'm always very uh, uh, happy when I have a chance to get over to visit uh, visit him there in the Saints there in Goshen and have some some fellowship. And so, uh, in this program, we're going to be trying to uh, bring uh, different brothers on to be with us and uh, have some fellowship over over what we're we're sharing about. And so, Mark, welcome to the program. And uh, first of all, if you have any, do you have any uh, initial thoughts about uh, or any comments about the program so far? Any uh, other yeah, than the yelling down the hall? So, <laughs> sorry. Don't worry about that. My <laughs> phone um, died on me, so I had to call the studio. Oh, and that's, that's okay. probably why they they put me in directly. But anyway, I want to say this. Yes, I enjoyed what you said. I really like how you referred to Jesus confirming the word this question of what is the canon yeah i I taught english and english literature for 35 years i I was going to mention that so yeah sorry sorry go ahead yeah and it's a big it's been a big question in fact in the last 20 years the so-called canon of english literature has been totally upended when i went to college in 1971 through 75 majored in english Mm. uh, mark twain was at the head of the canon and that's what you read when my son went through college same college, um, oh, uh, 25 years later, they didn't even read Mark Twain. Hmm. Even, Shakespeare, even Shakespeare has been upended. So people say, what is the canon? What is the approved scripture? I think the way you touched it 
is real. People are always reexamining it. I, I do believe Mark Twain will rise again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you go through periods of this, and it seems like every year or two I'll read some time, used to be Time Magazine article on how that uh, these books that you taught them, the lost books, maybe they should be in there. Yeah, right. Gospel of St. Thomas and so forth. And uh, it never, they never went. Those are just, it, they, they, the canon is set. And as you said, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, he knew, his audience knew what was the canon. They just, they knew what to read. In fact, just last Sunday, in our, or two Sundays ago in our meeting, hmm. we read the story of the Ethiopian eunuch who Philip met on the desert route, and he received the Lord there and was baptized. And uh, Philip asked him when he met him, he said, what are you reading? He was reading something. Yeah, and he had an entourage, and he, Philip the eunuch said, um, Isaiah. And Philip said, do you understand it? And he said, how could I if I don't have someone to explain it to yeah. me? And it's, it's kind of a humorous event, and he, he says, I can't tell. Is the writer here talking about himself or someone else? But he knew that Isaiah was the canon, and yes. this guy had traveled yeah. to Jerusalem yeah. because he really was a devout Ethiopian Jew, but he didn't understand it, and so... I uh, just appreciated what you said, how Jesus knew. He read from Isaiah when he preached his first public sermon, and he knew what the canon was, and the people, there wasn't a big debate about it. Today there is, and I think one of the reasons there is a debate is because people, because Satan always wants to attack. Yeah, the word I saw. I'm sorry, Mark, can you repeat oh, okay. that? I, I, I might talk over you. Satan always, always wants no, to attack the good. word. The word of God, yeah, yeah he just right. always does. We, um, I want to tell a little brief anecdote, which helped sure. me with uh, understanding how to read the Bible. Years, uh, ten years ago or so, my wife and I went to London on our first British uh, visit, and we went to the, I think it was the British Library or the either that or the British. Um, and my phone just is giving me a warning, so oh boy, I hope it doesn't die. Uh, and we looked at the Magna Carta, and it was. In a room that was very dimly lit, we looked through smoke glass at this precious, precious document, yeah. I think signed in, what, 1215? Right. And we peered at it, and I looked at the signatures. I could hardly read it. And they're trying to preserve the paper. That's why they didn't allow a lot of light and so forth, because right. it's a precious document. And and uh, I, I really enjoyed that experience. But it really made me think, this is how a lot of people read the Bible. They read it through filters through 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 a, in a distant way and it doesn't really touch them mm. Mm. it um mm. they can't reach out and grab it no. um i feel like for me at some point in my youth in my youth when i was in college especially seeking i um i thought i've got to grab this i've got to somehow grab what's in here because otherwise it was slipping away from me and I, so I came up with a little phrase for you today. Here's the phrase I came up with. Hmm. We need to have the word touch us, Amen. not merely teach us. Hmm. Very good. That's very good. We need to have the word touch us, not merely teach us. I like that's good. Right. Amen. Very good. And yeah. I think if you look at Philip, the, the, uh, in the Ethiopian eunuch, he was trying to get teaching, extract some kind mm-hmm. of teaching from the word. Hmm. But then Philip showed up. And he got he touched him, and immediately he said, "Look, there's water." Yeah. He wanted to be baptized. Amen. So Amen. I think you know there's another verse in Hebrews four twelve, which I love. It says the word of God is living and operative, and sharper than any two edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. I like that. Joints yeah. and marrow, it judges the thoughts and acts the heart. And that that verse has always meant a lot to me. But it shows the word touching you. Cutting you yes. even can hurt. Right. Yeah. And to me, to some degree, I, I say this a lot of times in our meetings, but if you feel a little bit hurt by what you read, if something bothers you, a topic comes up that you haven't really fully dealt with maybe, like like riches, and a lot of topics. But anyway, if it touches you, the best thing to do is just let it do the cutting. Hmm. It's like God's doing some surgery. Hmm. He's snipping away some parts. Hmm. And let it do it. Just mm. amen it, even if you can't, in your mind at least, agree with it. Something in you is resistant. doesn't matter if you're resistant that way. Yeah. Just allow the Word to come in mm. and do some work. Amen. It's very healthy. That's very good. Yeah. Amen.
Well, that uh, uh, kind of gets us to a question. One question I wanted to ask you, Mark, we talked about this before, is that, you know, I really appreciate the, the way you meet there in Goshen with the, the fellowship and how you, you, you take a, uh, a chapter a week, usually or at least that's the plan. Of course, sometimes when I've been there, it's only been a few verses. So it's, just, it's all you manage to get through because there's so much there. But uh, can you share with us a little bit about about your practice of as, as a congregation there, how you how you come to the word and maybe uh, and, and share, you know, maybe what's come out some of, uh, from that kind of an exercise in the word? Yeah, yeah right. We come to we don't have uh, typical uh, roles in our church experience. We certainly there are. You know, there are shepherds and teachers and evangelists in, within the church, but we don't have a typical pastor or give a sermon each week. We Sometimes sometimes we give have a message, but often we just, we're going through a book. Right now we're going through First and Second Timothy. We're wrapping up. In fact, this hmm. Sunday, tomorrow, we will be doing the last chapter of Second Timothy, the last chapter, which I consider a treasure. Yeah, sure. And um, we will read it, and we will pause on it. We will, I... We'll chew on it. People will say things. People will say things that are a little bit, sometimes a little bit off, because we all are a little bit crazy, yeah, right. and we interpret the word through our own filters. But in doing that, I feel like we do as a group, as a community, as a congregation, yeah. we begin to open it up. It really does. Well, it, it, and, you know, what I was saying when we were talking yesterday, it's, it's uh, the point isn't just to have the right uh, teaching. And I'm a big believer in right teaching. You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that how important that is. But it's not just to learn what to do when you come to the Word. God wants to interact with us. I think I lost you. Are you still there? I, I, yeah, I can hear you, Mark. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I got you. Okay. <laughs> I switched phones. We'll see how okay. this works. Okay, goodness, a lot of phones. Okay. Um, so I, I was just saying that we, uh, uh, when we come to the Word, it's not just to get the teaching and a right understanding of what we're supposed to do. You're, you're talking about the congregation. You, you're never quite sure what's going to come out. But the point is the saints are interacting with the word. And through that, they're touching yes. the Lord and having experiences of the Lord through the word. So that, in, yeah. that those transactions with God, that's what God really values. We need the right teachings. And like I say, I'm a, a firm believer in right teachings, and it's so important to have those. But, but the point isn't just to learn what to do. God wants those transactions, and it sounds like that's what's going on with the saints there. When you when you go, come to the word that way, you know those two thieves on the cross. They both begin by mocking Jesus. In one of the gospels, it it says that. But at a certain point, right. one thief saw something. He let the crucifying Christ touch him, and the other one didn't. And if mm. you that story always impresses me because at that point that thief he he not only uh, preaches the gospel at the other thief, yeah. he admits, like no one can admit, he said, we deserve what we're getting. He's dying. He's in every bit as much suffering as Jesus. He's on a yeah. cross. Yeah. And he sees in that moment, I deserve this. <laughs> to mm -hmm. me, that's right there's a miracle. Yeah. And then not only that, he preaches to the, he, he begins to preach the gospel to the other thief. And then furthermore, he sees something of the future. Because he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, that's amazing. And what, in, a, in 15 minutes, hmm. that something happened to him. So he let Christ touch him, and the other one didn't. And that's the Bible. The Bible, Christ is there in the Word. Hmm. And um, it's just too easy to read it, like I said, through that glass, and think deep thoughts. And think, oh, this is like, oh, this reminds me of Shakespeare and Macbeth. I, I remember thinking that because I used to teach Macbeth when I read about Saul and going to the witches. Um, you can have those thoughts, and you can go write an essay, or you can give a, a, a talk on that. But it's not really touching you. It's teaching you, maybe, right. but not touching and even cutting. Teaching, but not and, touching. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's just a precious. Uh, the Word really does have that ability. I mean, it can cut you to the... Amen. Heart. Amen. You know, it, that reminds me of, you know, Jesus is the living word of God. The Bible is the written word of God. And yeah. they, just, they just have so many of the same characteristics. And, and this is one of them, that Jesus was able to cut you and touch you and, uh, and yet at the same time yeah. heal. And sometimes when you come to the word, yes. you have just that exact same experience. It's like the thief on the cross or like that young man you mentioned. Um, yes. You know, I mentioned... Uh, 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 this book, Life, the, a book I appreciate very much. It's called Life in the Word. This is by Philip Morrow. And he's, uh, 
dealing with uh, the statement, like, well, the one verse you just mentioned, the word of God is living and operative. The word of God is living. I mean, everything in the world is dying, but according to the Bible, the Bible is uh, living, the living and abiding word of God. And so he's dealing with the characteristics of the Bible that show that it's living. And it's a, it's a mm -hmm. really remarkable little study of the word. This was done around, I think it, I think it might have been published in 1910, 1900, right around that time. But this, I, I appreciate this quote. I was just looking, looking at it. Uh, we go to the Bible not so much uh, to learn the thoughts of other men as to learn our own thoughts. Yeah. We go to other books to find out what was in the hearts and minds of their authors. But we go to this book to find what is in our hearts and our minds. To one That's who reads it is with, uh, with ever so little spiritual intelligence, there comes a perception of the fact that this book understands and knows all about him. I, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, this, I think this, the, that's just exactly the kind of experience you're talking about that young brother had. And, and I think many, many right. have had yes. that kind of experience. You know, that, uh, I had years ago when we were just married, and my first year of teaching, my salary was $8,000. Now, hmm. of course, inflation would make that 30-some <laughs> okay. 30 today, wow. but it was pretty low. And my wife wasn't working. We had children already. And, um, oh, no, at that point, sorry, we did a couple years later. But we, we were really tight. Financially, it was tight. And my dear wife, Sherry, she just wants, she just wanted to give. She believes, mm. you, you know, we should tithe. And I believed it in theory. But uh, in practice, it about killed me. You know, that meant if we gave 10%, I was going to, that wasn't going to be a Pizza Hut night we weren't going to have. Mm. And other things. And um, so it bothered me, but I knew she was right, and I let her do it. And she did the checks, so she gave the, she wrote them out. And I was reading the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said at one point, "Don't let your." This is about giving to the needy, but He said, yeah. "Don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing." Right. And um, all of a sudden, the light just came. And I thought she, I don't remember which one's right and left hand, but anyway, since I'm left-handed, I'll be the left-hand here. But anyway, she, um, I thought my wife is the right hand, and she's doing the right thing. And I just got great comfort from that. All of a sudden, it solved my problem. I thought I won't be, uh, my, the stingy factor in me just kind of faded. And, I mean, it really did change me just to have that insight and have the word touch me that way. And there was a kind of healing. Yeah, so I think the word really can touch you. We've we've seen it. I mean, yeah. if you ask Christians uh, across the board, a lot of them would, can remember a verse that just kind of yeah. changed them. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, well, like that Hebrews 4.12 would be one. But uh, yes. But every every Christian may have a, a particular verse. It's just really kind of unique to them. They just they, they call it their verse. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, amen, Mark. I appreciate uh, those thoughts. It's very, very good. We just need to allow the word to speak to us, and I appreciate your your comment that not just teaching but touching. That's a yeah. There's a real thought there, yeah. and that's because that's what the Lord that's what the Lord wants to do when we come to Him in His Word. He wants to touch us and really speak something mm -hmm. to us. And that's one again one reason why it's so important to be in the Word. We're giving the Lord the ground to really speak something to us. Uh, if we're not in the Word, He just doesn't have that much ground. The more the more of the Word is within us, the more the Lord will have the ground and, and the way to touch us. So he can uh, That's true. lead us in his way. Amen. So we have to, to close out now. We just ask for the Lord's blessing on these words and his, his covering of our time. But we thanks, Mark, for joining us, and uh, we hope we can have you on again soon. Praise the Lord. Well, we'll work out some of the technical problems in the future. Yeah, I hope so. Amen. That's right. Okay, Mark. Bye-bye. So that was the interview and discussion that we did with Brother Mark Jordan there in Goshen, Indiana as part of the very first broadcast of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. And I enjoyed that, and I certainly hope that you did also. So that will do it for this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. I do feel this is a very, very important topic, and I would encourage you to look at these verses that we mentioned in the program about how Jesus came to the Scriptures and really consider them for yourself, because there's so much doubt and so much uh, accusation against the scriptures is being made today. As the believers in Christ, we need to be firmly grounded and rooted in having a proper view of how to come to the scriptures. So again, I hope you find that helpful. And as the Lord allows, we hope to be back with you again soon.
Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in His way for His sake and His glory. In Jesus' name, amen.